welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ian McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we are once again joined by Hamish Frizzell from Service Land Surveyors. And we are talking about the Auckland Unitary Plan and some of the other council plans that Hamish has got knowledge and is aware of around the country so we can compare and contrast them because council rules are always changing, aren't they, Hamish? And that provides opportunities and things to be aware of for property owners and property investors. Correct, yeah. Once a district plan's in, it doesn't change that often uh, will be minor amendments as it goes through the course of its process. But generally speaking, the unitary plan or the district plans should last, have a life of 10 years, or they need any, by law, they Revamp. need to be reviewed. And things can change considerably over a 10-year period, population demands and that sort of thing. So, so that happens every 10 years by default, does it? Yeah, under the RMA, they have to review their district plan every 10 and years. And does that happen all at the same time, or do they different... Um, well, they're from? all introduced at different times. So this year in Canterbury, we've got Selwyn District bringing theirs out sort of end yes. of October. March next year, we've got Wymac District bringing theirs out, where they're intending to get rid of four hectare lots. So if anyone's thinking of doing a four hectare lot subdivision, give us a call now before you miss out. Timaru District, they've got a review coming up at the end of the year. They've been working on it for a couple of years, so... They're a bit slow um, down there. Christchurch, we... I can't even remember when ours got finalised. It was sort of done during the earthquake with just after very right. efficiently with very little public input, but just because of the post earthquake rules, which needed to happen at the time just to get things done. So, is there an argument to be had for again if if, if there's going to be a change within you know say two years? You know that that time frame's coming up. That maybe you'd buy in an area if you were looking to subdivide on the basis that you assumed that because of higher population growth, there'd likely be some easing of the criteria? Yeah, if you can get involved with the council pre-consultation process where they're dealing with planners and independent people rather than the general public, you can have some input into that side of things a lot more than once the plan's notified. Of course. And you're allowed to make submissions, in my yes. opinion, once the plan's notified. They've just, decided what they're doing. They're, they're just running the course. Being polite. Yeah. <laughs> Taking the public consultation box. Yeah. But it is important that if you have got attractive land or if you're looking to land bank, that you do get in touch with people who are involved in the policy at the higher yes. end of the... Is that something you guys get involved with? We work with a consultant planner who does a lot of that fishing yeah. around for us. And okay. Yeah, it's not something we have a lot of time to do at the yes, moment. Yes, yes. And Hamish, you just mentioned the RMA before. I often hear politicians talk about RMA and they're arguing about it. But for the average Joe on the street, what is the RMA and what does it actually mean? Well, it's the Resource Management Act and it came in in 1992 and it basically took over from the Town and Country Planning Act and probably a few other bits and pieces. It was about when I got into the business, so... Thankfully, I started at the same time that became a public document, so I've learned it from the ground up. So it takes care of all your planning and subdivision, but also takes care of your environmental and that side of things as well. There's a lot of argument as to whether it's outdated, and I think probably parts of it are. It's a very cumbersome and slow process, anything involved in it, although it has mandatory timeframes. It just seems to stretch out for months and months and years and years for some parts of it. The subdivision process is very timely. You know, they've got 20 working days to process things once they've got all the information. So you can more or less guarantee with most councils that if you've got all the information there, you're going to get a decision on a certain date. So it's got a few good points, but you know, if you're doing something that's non-complying and that sort of thing, it can be an extremely frustrating piece of legislation. And so when politicians are talking about reforming the RMA, for instance, I understand this is part of the National Party's housing policy, are they really talking about trying to cut red tape so people can do more things that they'd like to do quicker. Is that kind of what it means for the average Joe on the street? I think that's putting it in a nutshell, yeah. More things happen quicker. And there's been a national document just released, which is 
making councils look at things that they wouldn't normally look at as far as zoning and high density around transport hubs. And I think that's timely and you know, I think it's good practice. Now talk to us about the Auckland Unitary Plan and the significance of that document when it came in. Now it's been around for a while. Yeah, so previous to that you had all your smaller councils which were part of the amalgamation scenario and they all had their historic district plans which got the odd bit of modification but largely they were just running under the super city umbrella as far as I'm aware because it's well before we were involved in the Auckland market but the unitary plan has sort of made one district or one unitary plan for the whole super city district which runs from sort of Bombay through to Walkworthish and technically it should be better but it's just such a huge document it's just got so many things in it that it's unless Unless you work with it every day and all day, it's a very complex document to navigate through. And I think that comes back to what you were talking about before, that Auckland has got such an issue with housing and a lack of it that this document was meant to allow people to intensify properties and to build more properties on the same amount of land so that more houses would get built. Do you see that happening? Yes, absolutely, yep. Basically, unless you're in one or two specific zones, every property in Auckland has more or less got development potential of some sort. Whether you need to build with the development or whether you can create a vacant lot, the varied zonings give, you know, like one of the zones is allowed a minimum of two households per site. So if you've got a site with one house on it, you can pull it down and put two on, with no regard to area, provided you satisfy the site standards. So it's very good for that, and then as the zones change the more you can intensify so and so this is we've seen a huge amount of this I've had a lot of investors go into a place called Glen Innes which I'm sure you've done a bit of work in where there's lots of old state homes there which have been bowled down and you know the the space between houses now you can reach out your window and touch your neighbour's window yeah and a lot of them even join you know you get a row of five on a property that had one yes yes and this is just to try and soften the fact that there's such a need for houses in Auckland at such a rapid rate right Correct. And there is a need up there. And the thing is, that in even some of the more leafier suburbs, or what you might want to call them, and the you know the, the more expensive parts of Auckland, those zones are still there. So yes. you know, you're getting a lot of people who are upset that the nice house next door is gone and there's a row of three all of a sudden. Yes, and actually Ed was saying that just before off here, that there was a bit of feedback from someone. From down in Wellington at the moment, yes. I believe they're going through this process and there are discussions about, well, how do you manage or balance what some people see as the need for heritage not bowling down really nice old houses or old suburbs and replacing them with developments which some might find undesirable within that area. Now, I don't really have an opinion on this because I don't own a nice house in a leafy suburb, (laughs) but, but I'm sure that I would probably think the same way as they did. If I did have a nice leaf, uh, yes, but then of course you you have to go through this change for an area to improve as well. So just today I was driving through Limwood in Christchurch, which is you know a relatively lower socioeconomic area. It's got a lot of old villas in it, but the new properties around that area are becoming more prominent and and they stand out. But you'll see more and more of this over time, and you need to see this because that's how an area changes and develops, and it's an area which is you know a stone's throw from town where there should actually be a lot more value than there is today. Now the interesting thing, just to bring it back to what you were talking about before, about how do you figure out whether your home is subdividable. Now I've been on the Auckland Unitary Plan maps and you start looking around at houses and it's very interesting to 
pop in your address or your friend's address and see what it says. <laughs> Kelly's. Now, uh, yes. Now, you pop the address in, but you've got no idea what any of it actually means, do you? Because it's it's all in, in council <coughs> speak or land surveyor speak. Uh, yeah, and that's why you probably need to talk to a surveyor consultant. And we, again, we offer a service where we can look at a property and give you advice. But a lot of the properties, you actually need to involve the architect at that very initial stage because it might be that it's uh, 800 square metres and you get two, 300 sites in a driveway but the right designer can probably put four units on it so we encourage working with the design company first or in conjunction to see what we can do and then we can work out how we're going to develop and subdivide or whether it's unit title or fee simple. How many of your clients divide to sell and how many divide to actually build on roughly? In Auckland? Yeah. They're all developers. They're all developers. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. really interesting. It's on purpose to a point. In yes. Christchurch, I reckon by section volume, 60% would be developers, but by yes. clients, 70% would be just private people. Yes, yes, yes. Interesting. And you guys are based in Auckland and Christchurch. Is the reason you're not in Wellington by design and that you haven't got there yet, or is it that there's something different within Wellington or there's not as much opportunity to subdivide? Well, there hasn't been as much opportunity to subdivide because it's very it's no land. So there's no yeah. It's landlocked. Uh, yeah. on a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> and they've just about used all them up too. Yeah. <laughs> we got to Auckland through the change of tenure process because there's 100,000 cross leases in Auckland, 50,000 on the North Shore. So we've based ourselves on the North Shore because there's still 49,946 cross leases to fix. Wow. You guys are going to be busy for the next yeah, few years. Should be. <laughs> and, and from there, we've grown into providing subdivision work as well, which was never the intention. It was always just to do the cross lease thing, but it's just sort of by default with through client networking and stuff, people want to use us. So we go there and do that too. And have you had any horror stories of people that haven't got the right advice and this has just ended up costing them a whole lot more than they expected by the time they come to you and they've tried to apply for things themselves with the council? No, not really. Generally speaking, once people are with a survey consultant, they don't often change, even if things go wrong, the yes. surveyor will see them through to the end. Yes. <laughs> um, it's in their best interest too. Yes, yes. Um, they may change once the job's finished, but you don't often pick up a job midstream. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I, why not check out our epic guide to property investment. This is our 16,000 word article where we break down the absolute basics of property investment so you can get up to speed. It's going to take you about an hour to read and you can either get there by tapping or swiping over the cover art and in the show notes I'll drop a link in there or just Google property investment. It's usually the first thing that comes up after you scroll past all of the ads. Listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight. I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. Bye.